Good morning, Fellowship. Wow, that was big. It is good to see y'all. We are so grateful that you were here this morning joining us as we continue our look at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. You know, as we prepare our hearts for worship, I want to look back three weeks at Paul's powerful prayer that he prays in chapter 3. It's his heart that the followers of Christ in Ephesus may have the power to understand the sheer magnitude of God's love. They would truly experience the love of Christ. That they would be made complete in all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And may that be true of us as we stand and celebrate all that our God is. So I invite you to join us in singing this.
declare it out as a family. Jesus, seated. Check this out. Well, hello, Fellowship. Uh, my name is Mike Schatzman. I'm with Crew in Portugal, and I want to say thank you for giving generously to helping us uh, meet the needs of Ukrainian refugees uh, in Portugal and in Ukraine. Through your generosity, we've been able to help resettle Ukrainian families in Portugal. In fact, even today, we're still helping walk beside six families as they uh, get accustomed to Portugal, find jobs, and we're able to still help them meet some of their financial needs and physical needs. We've also used a portion of that money you've given to walk beside and to partner with our Ukrainian national staff as they're still in Ukraine. As more and more Ukrainians are now returning to Kiev and the surrounding areas, they're returning to homes that have been looted and to villages that have been destroyed. Our Ukrainian staff have been delivering boxes each week to these families in Ukraine and these surrounding villages of Kiev, delivering boxes filled with, uh, with food and home goods. And they're not just taking care of their physical needs, they're sitting down with them, praying with them and listening to them. Through your generous giving, Ukrainian refugees in Portugal and in Ukraine are seeing their physical, spiritual, and emotional needs taken care of. Thank you guys for giving generously. Well, welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. This is a place for all of you to come and belong and grow and serve. We want this to be a place where you can come and heal and rest and worship. And if there's one thing I want to be known as, uh, Fellowship Rogers to be known as in our community, is that we are a generous church. And I love this update from Ukraine. It reminds me of your generosity in Disaster Relief Fund. So we have people on the ground in Ukraine. It's an ongoing work. We still have people helping the tornado victims in Springdale. And we have people on the ground in Florida right now helping hurricane victims. And I just wanted to say thank you to you for being a generous church. I'm going to give you a generosity update this morning. 
Um, Operation Christmas Child is launching today. You probably saw them out there when you came into the foyer. This is a great opportunity to make a small effort to have a big, even eternal impact. And so pick up a box or two or three on your way out. Return those within the next few weeks. There are instructions inside the box, and we will take those to Dallas, and they'll be shipped all around the world. Hey, a couple of weeks ago, we had one of our global workers home. It's the second time this fall that one of our global, global workers returned with a need. And I just wanted to say thank you because you fully funded both of them as they've headed back overseas. You are a generous church. Hey, I want to show you a video update on the northeast corner of our property, Samaritan Community Center is building a new facility. And they are uh, making an effort to raise $16.8 million. If you don't know about Samaritan Community Center, this is a, uh, a partner of ours that serves under-resourced people in Northwest Arkansas. And Debbie Rambo and her team do a fabulous job. They have raised 16 of the 16.8 million. Is that incredible or what? Incredible, and I know that many of you um, have participated in that campaign, and Debbie Rambo and her team are here today. They are out at Booth C in the foyer. Now, while they're raising that money, building that facility, which will be really near to us, right on our property, the ongoing operations are still there. So if you'd like to be a hunger hero, which helps feed those who are under-resourced each month, or if you'd like to serve once a week, or once a month, the team is there to sign you up today. We want to be what kind of church? A generous church. And Samaritan Community Center models that for us, partners with us to do that. Hey, we also have another generosity opportunity. We launched a third campus in April. And we have the opportunity to be free and clear of all debt on that campus by the end of the year. And include all debts on updates to this campus and our Fayetteville campus $4 million left, and we'll be free and clear. Is that incredible or what? Incredible. You guys are a generous church, and so we are so excited for all the opportunities we have. God has blessed us, and we can be a blessing to others. Hey, I wanna let you know about two opportunities, one today and one in two weeks. Community group leaders, we have a training for you across the hall in the Family Center after this service, please join us. And then on November 13th, we have a marriage enrichment night sponsored by Reengage. And so it's gonna be here on campus, 4.30 to 6.30. And so it's an opportunity for you to come and get a booster shot in your marriage. We're gonna laugh together. We're gonna be challenged together. Dr. Gary Oliver is coming to be with us. It does require a registration and there's a $10 fee to cover our costs and to cover child care, which will be provided. And so I know that many of your community groups meet on Sunday night, so this would be a great social night. Come to the marriage enrichment night, go out to dinner afterwards, and have a great time. That was a lot. That was a lot. Let's head into Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. We're gonna be called today to live out our faith. And so as we hear from his word and as we worship the Lord, let's ask him to speak to us. Would you stand with us?
good morning, fellowship. I just got back from a songwriting retreat this past week, and I've really been thinking a lot about why do we even write songs? And as we were singing this morning, just I couldn't help but get caught a few moments just by a line or a phrase. I'm running to your arms, the riches of your love will always be enough. We just sang that. Do you believe that this morning? We just sang, to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. And these are songs that are written by other people that we get to sing on this stage. And when I think about the why behind songwriting, I've really been reflecting on songwriting as a form of evangelism and as songwriting as a form of discipleship. This morning, we get to sing the truths of God and we get to ask you to put those words in your very own mouth and sing those to God. So why do we do this? We do this because we cherish and guard the deposit that was given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we have the opportunity to share with you a song that was birthed out of fellowship here and being on staff, it's such a joy to write but it's even more of a joy to join um, hands and link arms with those who have been here even longer than me, those who aren't even on staff. And so this morning, Emily is going to share a song that we sat down to write together. And before she shares, I wanna look at the passage together. Uh, today, John is gonna be teaching on this passage and the surrounding um, scriptures. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Did you catch that? Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So Emily, will you share a little bit? Yeah. As I was sitting at my piano, um, starting to write and think, I was thinking on this passage, the theme and picture of light and darkness just really stuck with me. And this song became a prayer, um, a prayer for God to open our eyes, to be able to see what is true, to be able to see the light, that we would be able to distinguish from the truth, from the light, in the darkness as we are walking in this world, as we live our lives. Um, so let's make this a prayer um, for God as, as we see more clearly the work of the kingdom of God, that we would be the light of Christ, that we would be what we were intended to be and created to be.
be our prayer that God would open up our eyes. Thank you that we have you as our light and you as our example of love. And we have the Holy Spirit living in us if we're believers, Lord, and we have your word that is wisdom in our life. Lord, would you teach us today? Would you move in our hearts today? Would you show us what we need to see of you today? We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever looked in the mirror and not appreciated the reflection that was looking back at you? Maybe, maybe you look older than you pictured in the picture you had in your mind, or maybe you looked a little more wrinkled than the picture you had in your mind. It actually happened to me just a little bit ago. I was backstage. Before I walk out, I always try to make sure there's not something wrong. My zipper's zipped, and you know, you just you don't want to do anything wrong. And I looked, and I had powdered sugar on me, and I couldn't figure out how it got there. The funny thing is that actually it started to stick about right here for some reason. Have you ever turned your profile and your profile in the mirror, it just doesn't look like what it used to look like? Well, in our passage today, Paul talks about a life that the believer should live, should be a life that reflects God. In Ephesians chapter five, we're still in that practical section, we're section of, of Ephesians, and he's gonna throw a lot at us today but he says this, a life that reflects God includes three things. It's a life living in love, 
living as light and walking as wisdom. It's a life that's living in God's love. It's a life that's living as the light of Christ. And it's a life that's a life that's walking in the wisdom of God and his word. And Paul's gonna spell it out plainly for us today. And we pick up the study in Ephesians chapter five. If you would, turn your Bibles to Ephesians five or your, your journals. We're on week nine. So we've been in this book of Ephesians for a while now. And like I said, we're in the more practical section or section of Ephesians chapter five. We'll pick up the study in verse one. It says this, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, so, so the command is this, the charge is this, to follow God's example, to imitate God, to reflect God, to live. And we do that by living in his love. And Paul tells us basically two ways to live in his love here. First, he says, you've got to understand who you are. You've got to understand who you are in order where he says, as dearly loved children. And I think for some people here this morning, for some person here this morning, that's really all you need to hear. You're here and maybe life's not turning out the way you had hoped. Maybe it's a result of your own decisions. Maybe it's things that have happened to you by the acts of someone else. Maybe it's a bad health circumstance, but you just need to hear that you are a dearly loved child of God. In the book of Genesis, in chapter one, the writer of Genesis reminds us of that. He says this, so God created mankind in his own image. He created all of humanity in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. See, you need to realize this, that you were created by God to image him. And if you've placed your faith and trust in God, you're actually one of his children. And what Paul is saying here is as his children, we are commanded to reflect him. We do that by living in his love. We do that by understanding who we are. And then he also says there in that passage how to do it the definition of it, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, that how you do is you recognize that you are a dearly loved child and you also recognize who God is and who Christ is. You've got to understand grace. A while back, I was spending some time with one of our extended family members and it's this, you know, that family member, we've had that, that gospel conversation over and over in every different way possible. And at the end of it, it was almost like a gospel argument. Like they were arguing with me. Yeah, I've started going to church and, and I'm doing a lot of really good things. And man, I just think I'm, I'm about to get there. I said, no, you're not about to get there. And we kind of argued back and forth the difference between works and grace. And finally I said, you know, my prayer for you is, my prayer for you is that you would understand the definition of grace. And that's really for all of us. We've got to understand what grace is. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And that's what God shown for us. And all you have to do is accept the gift of God in Christ. Jesus, Jesus' miraculous birth, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, 
And if you believe that, you are a dearly loved child of God. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, we'd love to partner with you this morning and do that. You can stop by our prayer room. Ed and Guanica are in there this morning. They'd love to pray with you. So you gotta understand who you are. You gotta comprehend who Jesus is and what he did. There's a story of a benevolent king this is a really good illustration of grace. A story of a benevolent king, and, and there was this, this section of his kingdom, and they had decided to rebel against him. And he couldn't understand why, and so he, he sent a messenger to, to talk to him, and they killed the messenger. And, and everyone in the kingdom couldn't understand because just with a, a tenth of his army, if he sent him there, he could wipe him out right away. But, but, but he was trying to be benevolent, so he sent his son. He said, surely they'll respect my son, the prince. So he sends his son, and they kill his son as well. And so everyone's thinking, okay, now he's going to wipe him out. And instead, he invites him to the palace and lets him eat at his table. And he tells them that, that my son's death will be payment for what you've done. Matter of fact, I want you to live in the palace. I want you to be a part of my family. And that's such a foreign story. It doesn't even make sense to us, but that's the power of grace. That's what God did for us in Christ. And to live in love, you must understand that. So in verse three, Paul moves from Christ's self-sacrifice to our self-indulgence. He moves from sacrificial love to lust. It says this, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, underline that, or of any kind of impurity, underline impurity, or of greed, underline the word greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Paul now gives them three examples of what not to do in order to live in, in God's love. The, the word sexual immorality there, actually in the Greek, is the word porneia. Yeah, it's what you think. It's where we get our word porn or pornography from. And it actually means this. It means any sexual activity or action outside the context of a covenant marriage, which is between one man and one woman is porneia. Whether it's sexual intercourse, prostitution, unchastity, fornication, it's all porneia. And so if we go back to Paul's day, to Ephesus, I think I've got a picture here that Mickey showed us a while back. Imagine people walking the streets of Ephesus, and Ephesus was kind of like, I'm trying to think of a good example, kind of like Napa Valley and Bourbon Street mixed together, okay? Stick with me. Napa Valley, Bourbon Street. So it's wine country. Lots of wine probably be made around it. It's a great climate. So they're, they're raising lots of wine. But then you have this, this temple of Artemis. And so outside the city, I think I've got a drawing of it. If you go there today, which if you go with us fellowships going next year, if you want to go, um, let us know. Um, I won't be there. I didn't get invited. But if you're there, you, will, if you, you won't see the temple. You'll actually just see one pillar, which I think they recreated. But it's just this, this field now. But the temple of Artemis. And, and basically what this is, Artemis is a goddess, Diana, um, was regarded as the fertility goddess where sexual orgies and, were regularly associated with her worship. So you take wine and sexual immorality, you mix them together, and that's what happened to the temple. Probably worse than what you or I could imagine. So what Paul is saying is stay away from that side of town. Stay away from that street. 
don't have anything to do with it. And so I was trying to think, okay, so for us today, we don't really have a, a goddess of that. What's, what's our struggle today? We all know it's out there. And, and it's either online or it's in person. If it's online, I went to the website freedomfight.org. Got some incredible statistics. It's an organization we partner with. And it says this, 68% of church-going men use porn. Surely not here. 68%, that's like two-thirds. That'd be, that would be like from here over if this room were filled with men. You see, we've, we've got a struggle. It's real. 56% of divorces are attributed to a partner's porn habit. 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. The average age of first exposure is eight years old. Parents, we need to parent what we provide. If you provide an electronic device, you need to parent it. I think we've got some good resources on our website. Talk to one of our staff, one of the volunteer leaders. We'll partner with you in that. 55% of married men, 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. You see, it's a problem. And what I want you to know is this is a church where you don't have to act like you got it all figured out. Because we know we all have issues. We all struggle with sin. The important thing is how well you deal with that. And we've got staff, we've got volunteer leaders, your community group leader, we've got all kinds of people. We would love to partner with you because when you take something out of the darkness and you put it in the light, the power, it loses its power. We'd love to partner. The word impurity there literally means immoral uncleanness, moral uncleanness, filth, lewdness, Refuse, vileness, just take this. If, if sexual immorality is this, impurity is everything else. So if it doesn't fit there, it fits there. Paul's saying stay away from that side of town. And he also talks about greed, which in, I think the ESV is called covetousness. The state of desiring to have more than one's due. Think about this. Covetousness or greed. The state of desiring to have more than one's due. Here Paul's referring to the, the sexual side of that, to, to, to desire a person, desire something you shouldn't have. That's called idolatry. We'll talk more about it in just a minute. Are you having fun yet? Let's go to verse four. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So he just keeps going, doesn't he? If that last section didn't hit you, this one will. No to obscenity, no to foolish talk, no to coarse joking. When you think about obscenity, it seems like it's kind of creeping into our culture, isn't it? I was going to play that Netflix sound. Do you know the sound? Did anybody make it? Dun, dun. You see, that sounds either a good sound for you or it's a bad sound because ne there's nothing wrong with Netflix, but it could take you to a place you don't need to go. Dun, dun. And really only you know, or your family or whoever has your account password is watching that. So it could take us to a good place or a bad place. You remember when your parents used to say, you are what you eat? Remember that? I remember as a kid, I was always like, no, not really. Well, in the case here, you are. What you consume, you are that because what gets into your, your, your head or through your ears, it goes to your head and it ends up in your heart and eventually what comes out, you reflect it. I know it happens in my life. It's challenging. Hey, I got a great, great illustration for you 
with this. I think I've got a picture of a car somewhere around northwest Arkansas. Uh, a friend sent me this picture this week. I was actually studying this passage, studying this verse, and this comes up. So you've got a family. It's obviously a family person, a couple kids, maybe three pets, two dogs and a cat. And then you've got, they're obviously Christians because the sign of being a Christian in Northwest Arkansas is what? You listen to Christian radio, right? That's, you're obviously a believer. But then something doesn't fit there, does it? You see that, that box covering that up is, 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 a, is an obscene word. It's a couple of the letters are pasted over with American flags. And regardless, this is not a political statement, regardless of what you think about the president or the current administration, that has nothing to do with this. But lay that on top of this scripture. Are you being light to the watching world? Now, I know what you're all thinking. Whose car is this? I don't know. There's about a 25% chance they're at one of our campuses this morning. If you know them... If you know them, I'm sorry. Usually my sermon illustrations are from me or my family. But you're the one that gave it to us. Sorry. You see, we need to be a light. And Paul's going to tell us that in just a moment. He, he says, all of this, obscenity, foolish talking, coarse joking, are out of line. Rather thanksgiving. And I know we see this over and over like, yeah, okay, we're supposed to be thankful we're headed into you know, Thanksgiving holiday. We should be thankful. I think that Thanksgiving, along with prayer, may be two of the most powerful but underused spiritual practices in the Christian faith. If you will learn to be a thankful person, if you learn to verbalize what you're thankful for, if you learn to write out what you're thankful for, maybe sitting at the table, your family dinner, rather than just praying a prayer that you pray over and over, maybe just everyone just says a couple things you're thankful for, it literally changes things. Gratitude, it literally changes the culture of your home. Zig Ziglar said this, gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions. A UCLA study said this, Gratitude changes or can change the makeup of our brain. It improves our immune system, improves the quality of sleep. We release dopamine and serotonin when we practice gratitude, which aids in dealing with anxiety and depression. Find a gratitude practice and do it. In your car, just tell the Lord what you're thankful for. At your table, it will change the culture of your home. It will change the attitude of your heart. And in verse five, Paul keeps going along these same lines. For of this, you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now you can literally circle those three words there, draw a line up to the ones before. It's the same thing. He's given us three categories that word greed there is actually the word covetousness that we talked about earlier in the ESV, covetous, and it literally means idolatry. And idolatry is simply this. You know, we think about it being something back in Paul's day that was a problem and not in our day, but idolatry is anytime you take something and you put it in the place of God. For me, I love stuff. I mean, I love stuff. I, I know, I love technology. I've always loved cars. Now I love trucks. I continue to save money for a new truck. The problem is I have kids. 
and they keep running into other cars and they keep needing braces and now college and they get married and it's a great exercise. If you have, if you have a problem with greed, just have kids. They'll take care of it for you. No. But, but the text says that, that greed is not a good thing. Greed is actually idolatry. And greed is, is basically, idolatry is saying, I can only be satisfied if I have this. I can only be satisfied if I have a different house. I can only be satisfied if I have a different car or a different lifestyle or a different spouse or a different boyfriend or girlfriend or a different income level. That's the only way I can be satisfied, that you're, you're, you're pl- putting something in the place of God. And it's not good. Whatever takes the place of God in your life, that's idolatry. And Paul's saying, don't do it. When I think of sin, I think of three big buckets. Scripture kind of backs this up. I think of sex. I think of money. I think of power or pride. Sex is, that's your lust of the flesh bucket, sin struggle. I think of money. That's your stuff, the material possessions bucket. That, that pride bucket, it's the boasting of what you have and you can do. And for some reason, me, it kind of helps me to say, okay, I'm struggling here right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring somebody in and ask them to help me with this. Paul's wanting the Ephesian believers to not go to that side of town, to stay away from the temple of Artemis. Look at verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You see, how a person is deceived with empty words is they literally attach themselves to another person who has undue influence on them. You gotta be careful, especially in this world where it's filled with influencers. You gotta be careful attaching yourself and allowing somebody else to have undue influence on you. The key words there, do not, do not partner with them. Don't go to places online or in real life that put you in a compromising position position. You should love them. You should pray for them. You should minister to them. You should, you should show grace to them. You should tell the truth to them, but don't partner with them. He says this really well in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Listen to this. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. We use this a lot for marriage. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? You think about that word yoked there. It's, 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 it's like a, someone in the olden days plowing the field. There's two oxen or four oxen out front, and the yoke is literally what's holding them together. And when you're yoked to somebody, you're, they're, they're pulling you in a direction that you may not want to go. When you yoke to them or you're partnered to them, you've got to be careful of that. Be careful who you're listening to. Be careful who you're partnering with. Don't hang outside the temple, Paul's saying. In addition to living in love, in verse eight, we see Paul says, you're also called to live as light. As Christians, we are called to live as light. For once, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of life consists of goodness and righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. So how do we live as children of light? He says two things. One, 
goodness, righteousness, and truth. I mean, even ask yourself, Lord, is, is what I'm participating in, is that goodness? Is that righteousness? Is that truth? Am I reflecting you? Am I living as light? So how do we live as light in our families? I would, I would say, just challenge you to two things. Write out your family priorities. It doesn't always work out perfect, but just write out what's important to you as a family. And then over here, maybe draw a line on two pieces of paper, write out your priorities, and then write out how you're spending your time. And do those two things line up? Because what you don't want to happen is five years from now or 10 years from now or 15 years from now, you, you look back on your life, you look at your children, and, and things aren't going like you hoped. That everything in your life is not lined up with your priorities. I think we do that so much in life that, that we don't allocate our resources according to our priorities. And your resources would be things like money, which some people have an infinite amount of, some people very limited amount of, but everyone has a limited amount of time. So how you prioritize your life and how you allocate your resources should be similar. Look at verse 11. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. Now here's what you gotta be careful of here. It says expose them. Some of you are like, all right. We're gonna take him down. That's not what it's talking about. The them there is actually the deeds. You expose the deeds. You don't expose the doer. You see, our culture, we love to expose the doer, don't we? we it's a cancel culture. We wanna cancel them. He says, no, expose the deed, not the doer. Now, obviously, at times, there's gonna be doers that need to be exposed because of certain things, but you get the principle. As Christians, we're going after the deed. Remember, hate the sin, love the sinner. It still applies today. But everything, verse 13, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. So what is the purpose of light? The purpose of light is to make things visible. When we live as light, we're, we're living, exposing our heavenly father. A while back, we had, a, I think it was, a, I think this is right, a mountain lion in our neighborhood, living right in the middle of Rogers. And, and this, our neighbor had a picture of a mountain lion on their fence, like it's a really big cat. It's kind of scary. And a while back, I walked to the front of our house where we lit our, where, we have a dog this big. It was supposed to be a Labrador, and, but it's not. And so I let it out every night. And she, she goes out in the front yard, does her business, comes back in. Sometimes she visits the neighbors. But then we, one night I felt that mountain lion in our yard, right where my dog goes to the bathroom every night. One night I let her out and I forgot to go with her. And a little while later I go get a flashlight and I'm looking, she's not coming, she's not coming. I look everywhere, flashlight, flashlight, flashlight starts to go out. See, I needed the light. Fortunately, when I got back to the porch, guess who was standing there? Not the mountain lion, my little dog. She lived another day. Light affects darkness. Darkness doesn't affect light. The only way something is dark is if the light goes out, right? Hide it under a bushel? No. We're gonna let it shine. Light changes darkness. Verse 14, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Where's this from? We're not really sure. 
Maybe it's from Isaiah 26, 19, and the conversation of Isaiah 61. They talk about wake up and rise. And uh, This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, for Christ will shine on you. This may be an old hymn. Maybe Paul made it up. Maybe he's a poet and didn't know it. But however it came from, Paul's putting it in Scripture. And for some of you, darkness has creeped in or crept in. I'm not sure which one's right. Creeped is tomorrow, right? Crept, crept. Anyway, darkness has creeped in, and you need to wake up. Just like the lyrics from the song that Emily and Pat wrote, arise from the grave and let the light of Christ shine upon you. And when the light of Christ shines upon you, you literally become a light. When you become a believer in Christ, you do what you were intended to do, just like in in Genesis, We are created to image God. You start actually doing that. And you image God. You reflect God just like the mirror. Live in love. Live as light. And look at the last thing. Walk in wisdom. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The contrast between light and darkness, he moves from that to contrasting wisdom and folly. And he says here to make the most of every opportunity. I love what the King James Version says. It says redeeming the time. You see, what wise people do is they redeem the time. They make the most of every opportunity. Psalm 90 verse 12 is a great psalm. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to be wise. Teach us to manage our calendar well that we may gain wisdom. In my finances, Lord, teach me to number my days. In my, in my family, teach me to number my days. In my work, teach me to number my days. I think I have an illustration for you here. It's your age based upon the time of day. So if you're born at 7 a.m., if you're 15, you're still in good shape. It's morning time. If you're 25, it's, it's lunchtime. That explains a lot, right? If you're 35 years old and you're at three o'clock in the day, it's moving fast, isn't it? If you're 45, it's quitting time. If you're 55, it's 7.30 at night. That's getting time, close to time to go to bed. If you're 65 years old, that's 9.55. And if you're 70, we're already in bed. And if that doesn't sober you, I don't know what would. We are supposed to count our days and make them valuable. The wise person manages their self, manages their time. He says in verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The difference between the unwise and the fool is that the unwise lacks wisdom. The fool behaves contrary to what's right. Wise people not only make the most of their time, they also seek to do the will of God. And look at verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't do this. Do this. I think it's like 30 plus times in Scripture, the writers of Scripture say, don't get drunk. And so people come and say, well, Pastor, can I drink? I don't know. Can you? The scriptures say, don't get drunk. And there's this really fine line there, and you've got to figure out how to navigate that. I have three practices that I tell people 
I've got several friends that have some other similar stuff, but it's like, first of all, you can be aware of yourself. What's your background like? What's your family history? What were your practices like when you were younger? Be aware of self. Can you handle it? Be aware of others. I had a friend that uh, he and I was having an arbor built in his backyard, and these guys were working really hard. It's a hot day, and at the end of the day, he kind of wanted to connect with them, so he gave them each a beer. The next day, only two of the three came back. He said, well, what happened to such and such? And they said, well, he's got a drinking problem. He'll, he'll, he'll be out for a week or so. You, what you, you, that beer you gave him sent him on a downward spiral. You've got to be careful. Be aware of self, be aware of others, and be aware of the timing. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be alert and sober and of sober mind. See, as Christians, we need to be alert. And part of making the most of the day, we need to have a sober mind and be able to make choices. An adult came up, came and picked up my, one of my kids one time. I didn't really know them. They were the parent of a, a friend of theirs. And I found out later they'd been drinking and probably had too much to drink. So you've got to know your timing. Got to know your timing. It says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 tells us to be, that when you believe in Christ, you are sealed. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. In chapter four of Ephesians, it tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So when you sin, you grieve the Holy Spirit. But God tells us, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then, then you'll be saved. Your sins are forgiven. Think of the Holy Spirit this way. It's not so much like a glass of water. You fill it up and it's just, okay, I'm filled with the Spirit. That's not what it's like. It's more like a glove. You got this glove and you put your hand in the glove and the glove's ready for action, right? And that's kind of like the filling of the Spirit and that we're all a glove. Live in love. We are called to live as light. We are called to be wise people and wise people make the most use of their time they, they count their days, they seek to do the will of God, and they are led by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to respond to the Lord. And I know this is a, there's a lot here, and there may be a specific part that hits you, but we're going to respond to the Lord. We're going to pray first, and then we're going to respond with song. And as the Lord does a work in your heart, feel free to just sit and soak. Feel free to get on your knees. Feel free to close your eyes. Feel free to sing out. Do whatever the Lord leads you to do. Let me pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word, even as when it's as challenging and as convicting as this passage is today. Lord, thank you that for some reason you've chosen us to reflect you to the watching world. Lord, help us to live in your love. Lord, help us to live as light and help us to walk in wisdom as we attempt to navigate this world, help everything we do to bring honor and glory to you.
our prayer, our declaration. Good news embracing the poor, comfort for all those who mourn, for the brokenhearted. We sing louder, release from prison and shame, oppression turning. just remain standing as I read this last few verses. And I think Paul gives us an application. He says, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, what Paul's doing here, he's actually giving us our application for today's passage. These, these participles he lists over and over are actually spiritual practices. I've got them listed for you. You have fellowship, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's actually a, an ancient tradition called truth-telling, where you tell the truth of Scripture to another person. But you have to know Scripture to be able to do that. You have to show up to be able to do that. It's a great practice. That's fellowship, worship, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. That's one of the ways to do it. Gratitude, always giving thanks. We talked about it. Submission, this, this idea of mutual submission where you're submitting to one another out of respect. Somebody, when the Lord puts someone in leadership position over you, you submit to them 
And these four acts are really results of being filled with the Spirit. He says, don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do I do that? He tells us right here. Hey, Sean, if you would leave this scripture or this that list on the day on the screen as we leave today, if you want to take a picture of it, but pick a couple of those and just try to apply them to your life today. Fellowship, may we be a community of believers who expresses and reflects the Lord to the watching world. God bless you. Have a great week.